Episode 43. Sailboats drift by while older folks soak up the sun with hats over their faces in parking lot chairs. All quiet but the tide and plains above. Quiet, warm fall day in Rhode Island. Except the geese. They bellow. Greetings and welcome in to the Patuxet General, your place for all things Patuxetish. I am your host, Jess. This week we celebrate the beginning of fall with a seasonal cocktail, the Creamsicle, and a local favorite that I've named after its biggest fan, Amy's Maple Pumpkin Pecan Scone. We visit Oakland Beach and a local story of the unusual in our House on the Corner series. We have so many people to thank this week. Our first nod goes to the Cranston Herald and Don Fowler for printing such a glowing article about yours truly and our Patuxet General family. You made us blush with all those nice words, so thank you. Also, we want to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. You know who you are, secret constant listener, so thank you. You and the other Patreon subscribers are the glowing light serrated knife large spoon and spirited intent in the jack-o'-lantern that is the Patuxet General, without whom we would be a naked pumpkin. So thank you. If you would like to be one of these seated folk, you could look for our page on patreon.com or just follow the link in the show notes. But until then, let's talk about Oakland Beach. All the locals know a place right down the street to sit on the bay, let the sea air into your hair, and grab some chowder and clam cakes or fish and chips on a Friday. My favorite place is Stadium Fish and Chips for fish, but Oakland Beach is great for an after-work beach trip. Oakland Beach is a community and beach, which is in the south-central area of Warwick, Rhode Island. It is Patuxet Village's closest beach. The history of Oakland Beach is a rich one. The village of Oakland Beach was founded in 1670 as part of an expanding Shawamet settlement. It was used mostly for grazing livestock. It was a quiet, undeveloped place, but all of that changed in the 1870s with the advent of the Industrial Revolution, which brought trolleys who, to build ridership, encouraged trolley parks. Destination? Picnic. In 1840, the Rhode Island militia used the beach as a training ground before shipping off to Quonset. After World War I, the area became developed and densely populated as a summer colony, largely for Providence's middle-class Irish, Greek, and Italian communities. By the 1930s, Oakland Beach was a destination to be envied. They boasted a luxury hotel, a bathing beach, boat docks, a ferris wheel, a bumper car ride, a movie theater, an arcade, a wax museum roller coaster, a dance hall, and one of its lost crown jewels, a carousel, crafted by one Joseph Carollo, the carousel king himself. Mr. Carollo was born in Italy in 1877, where he learned to master the art of making carousels. He fell in love with Oakland Beach and died there in 1981 at the age of 103. The luxury hotel was sadly lost in 1903 to a fire, and the hurricane of 1938, before they started naming them, wiped out most of the amenities on the Midway. Those attractions were never restored. The carousel fell into disrepair in the 90s and was sold. The movie theater, after Mr. Carollo's demise, was donated to the church to be made into a community center. Eventually, the automobile came along, 
and the trolley stopped running people around. Now, Oakland Beach is a quiet treasure, boasting a hearty community and the world's famous Iggy's. Best Doughboys ever. So, uh, check it out. The Orange Creamsicle. This was sent into the podcast by a dear friend. I thought that it might be good to keep in your cocktail recipe back pocket for Halloween. It has huge table appeal, and the bright color will also make those dark, bloody-style drinks stand out. I must say that the taste testing of the drink at the General Home Store was extremely favorable and may be a regular addition to the General's Bar List. So uh, check out Orange Creamsicle and enjoy. For this recipe, you will need one and one half ounce vodka of your choice, ice, three ounces of orange juice, fresh or bottled, fresh is better, whipped cream, an orange slice, a shaker, the zest of an orange, and a chilled martini glass. Fill your shaker with ice and then add the orange juice and uh, the vodka. Give it a good hard shake. I mean, really, really give it a good hard shake. Then pour it into your chilled martini glass, strained, and top with whipped cream. Put a slice of orange on the side and put zest of an orange over the top. Let me tell you, this is so gorgeous. We can't resist. You won't be sorry. This is a quick and easy one. It just needs to be served freezing cold. Amy's Maple Pumpkin Pecan Scones Back in the days of Little Falls Bakery, I was given a pumpkin, a really big sugar pumpkin, and then, well, two more. Well, I thought back to my time in Germany, as I talked about in episode 16. Spargle everything, right? So, that week, I made pumpkin everything. Soup, cookies, mini pies, and maple pumpkin pecan scones. I decided to do them with a maple glaze. All of these recipes did well, but the maple pumpkin pecan scones, well, they blew everybody's mind. But my next door pal at the shop, my dear friend Amy, the owner of Tag Sale Treasures, she loved these. Originally, I had intended to do these as a one-off. However, when I sold 20 in an hour, I knew I had something. While I was plotting the next day's special scone, Amy came in to see if there were any left. Nope, but I'll deliver yours in an hour after I finish them. She agreed, and I made a note, these are one of the best seasonal scones, and I'm lucky to have thought of them. Now, there are several different ways to make these. I prefer the method that I started with, raw, fresh, seasonal pumpkins. There are three ways to process these, baking, steaming, or roasting. I prefer baking, as in whole. Just put the entire pumpkin, skin and all, into a preheated 350-degree oven. Then... Bake for an hour or until it is soft to the touch if it's a bit larger. Carefully cut off the top so as not to spill loose seeds everywhere. Scrape the seeds and pulp out of the pumpkin while not digging into the flesh. Set aside the seeds so that you can bake them and salt them for snacks with drinks. Then gently separate the flesh from the pumpkin skin, putting the flesh into a large bowl for mashing. Discard the skin and mash the pumpkin until only very small chunks remain. This pumpkin mash can be stored at 41 degrees or below for a week and can be used in any of the above-mentioned recipes that we will be revisiting for the rest of the pumpkin season. So buckle up, pumpkin heads. For this recipe, you will need one sheet pan covered with parchment paper, one half pound unsalted butter, 
one teaspoon cinnamon, one teaspoon ground ginger, four and a half cups of flour, one half teaspoon ground clove, two and a half teaspoons baking powder, one teaspoon nutmeg, one teaspoon baking soda, and one third of a cup sugar. You will also need one egg for topping, three quarters of a cup pumpkin, or one can if you're desperate. Seven eggs, two and a half cups yogurt, two cups skin milk, one tablespoon of maple extract, or two tablespoons dark maple syrup. You'll need a scoop or a three and a half inch cutter and pin. Also, one cup toasted pecans. I get mine from Virginian Spanish Nut Company right here in Providence. A large metal mixing bowl and a separate large mixing bowl for the wet mix. These scones are simple and complex all at the same time. We start with some crazy cold butter, finely chopped into one half inch cubes. Add in the dry ingredients, spices, leavening, sugar, and flour. Now you can use a mixer to do this or your own two hands. I prefer this method for home cooking because you can monitor the size of each piece of butter to see that it's smushed, but still cool. All large chunks flattened out a bit. When you have used the mixer gently or done this by hand, either method may be used. But when you reach this stage, you add three cups of the wet mix, which is the eggs, yogurt, and skim milk. At the same time, you could add the toasted pecans and the pumpkin very gently at this point. The less you touch them, the flakier they get. It is the sweet spot between wet in places and just mixed. But just two or three times will make you a pro. And let me tell you, the first time with a little jam, clotted cream, or just plain, it may change your mind about what you think about scones in the good way. So just before you want to scoop them, add the maple so that it makes stripes through the scooped scones. At this point, you can either scoop them, which is what I do, or roll and cut them. Shapes are fun, but I find them to be overworked by this method. A choose your own way. Separate the scones on the parchment paper by about three inches because they grow. Then brush some beaten egg on top. They bake in a preheated 375 degree oven for about 15 minutes or until they have gentle bounce back and sound solid when knocked on. I know that it's hard to do, but if you let them sit for about 15 minutes to cool, the results are crazy good. Crunchy, smooth, sweet, pumpkiny, mapley, pecany goodness. So try out Amy's scones and enjoy. I have a blazing hot news flash about an amazing local event that you'll want to attend taking place with my friends and neighbors at Emerald Frog Reiki and More in Cranston. The event is the first annual Spooky Soiree. You can come on in and take part in lots of great activities. They will be hosting readings, chair massages, Reiki, shamanistic energy healing, spiritual counseling, and light language intuitive alignment technique. There will also be tons of tasty snacks and ghoulish goodie bags to have as a treat. Be sure to save the date, Friday, October 28th, 2022, at 6 p.m., and pay a visit to the new Emerald Frog Reiki and More location, situated conveniently at 1844 Broad Street in Cranston, Rhode Island, 02905. Emerald Frog Reiki and More is an alternative health and holistic service, helping the Edgewood and Patuxet communities. Come enjoy an evening of fun, friends, and food this spooky season.
I want to tell you about my friend Mike and his electromagnetic pinball museum and restoration arcade. It's an all-inclusive place to relax and share anything related to modern pinball, EM pinball, and arcade games. A group of pinball and arcade fans with an addiction to games of all kinds and Lego too. $10 gets you free play on pinball and arcade games all day. You can find them at 881 Main Street, Pawtucket, Rhode Island, or online at www.electromagneticpinballmuseum.com. And now for our House on the Corner series, The Lights Over Gatsby Point. Dear Patuxent General, since 1995, I have lived in Patuxent Village, Rhode Island, and on two occasions, I have seen things in the sky that cannot be explained away as satellites or aircraft. Now, I'm a skeptic to all things. I do not believe what I cannot see. And what I will tell you here is what I saw that I could not believe. The first sighting that I had was with my wife in the late winter months of 1996, the sky was remarkably clear that night, and we could see all the stars. We had just put the baby to bed and had settled in ourselves for a cuddle. There was nothing really to look at besides the dark sky and the neon stars. After about two minutes, I noticed one of the brighter ones was moving. Is that a shooting star? I asked. It's moving awfully slowly for a shooting star, my wife replied. I agreed. Then, another star next to it started moving on its own accord in an opposite direction. My wife and I sat slack-jawed and frozen, unable to believe or explain the two lights in the sky. Their colors started shifting and changing, red, then blue, then yellow, then white. The intensity of their light started to change, growing brighter and dimmer randomly. Then their movements became wild. They started moving up and down, left and right, making incredible sudden changes in their velocity and direction, until after several awestruck moments, they streaked into a single beam of straight white light and shot across the horizon and out of sight. I do not know what those things were, but I was certain that they were not shooting stars or satellites. The second occurrence of unusual aerial objects that I encountered was years and years later. On February 12th, I was washing my dishes on my second-floor apartment, which sat high near the top of the hill. My second-floor window overlooked the rooftops on my street. We were high up. It was early morning, and there was a thick, high-hanging fog, which ended just about 20 feet above my next-door neighbor's rooftop. A thick veil of clouds, several miles over the fog, which was barely visible, through the soupy mist before me. As I performed the perfunctory task of washing out my coffee mug, I suddenly felt and heard something highly unusual. I have almost nothing to compare the sensation to. Do you remember those high-voltage, low-amperage arcade games that challenged you to try and hold on to two charged rods for as long as you could, while it increased the voltage and vibration, and the longer you held on, the higher your score was? It felt a bit like that. There was a low, throbbing hum. All of this lasted about two seconds and the sensation passed as the source of it passed over me. Then I saw, up in the fog, just over my roof and flying towards the neighbor's roof, three of them. I could throw a rock and hit them if I could have done anything but stare. These things were about 25 feet from my head as I looked up at them. They traveled in a triangular formation. They were small, only about three feet long by four feet wide. There was a triangular black fuselage around a frosty clear round ball about 
two feet in diameter, which rode in the center of the craft. The balls had lights, red lights. The two objects on the ends of the formation's lights were steady. The globe in the center front had a blinking light on each side of it, which alternated between flashes. Left, red, right, red. The formation never moved or broke. It was as if they were glued to each other as they moved a steady and constant clip across the sky and over my neighbor's rooftop and out of sight. This took about three seconds to happen. To this day, I regret that I was unable to run to my phone for photographic evidence. I mean, I had an excuse in 1996. My only excuse for not recording was purely fascination. My eyes were glued. I stood transfixed in studying these three objects for the entire five seconds that I had them in my sights. They looked cool. I am not going on the record as a believer that aliens piloted those craft. In fact, the three small ones that I saw up close looked a little bit like the flying objects seemed to be constructed out of plastic. That said, it is an obvious given that in a universe as big as this, in a state as small as this one, that we are not alone. The truth is out there, and it's right over our heads. Thank you once again for joining us today at the PG. If you would like to hear your own ghost story, or have questions about anything from the podcast, or would like information about ordering for pickup at our Patuxet General pop-up store, our email is jess at patuxetgeneral.com. We would love to hear from you. Next week, we'll have an apple pie and an inspiring story about a local nurse who gave her life in Europe during World War I, who just happens to be my great-great-aunt. So, meet me back here next week at the Patuxet General. A Something for Posterity production. Pre-recorded in Patuxet. <laughs>